The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Lots to get through as Gilead's drug is cleared for emergency use by the FDA. This, according to President Trump, the drug has shown positive results in helping hospitalized patients recover more quickly. And President Trump's told President Trump told reporters at the White House earlier today that the antiviral drug has been cleared by U.S. regulators for the emergency use in COVID-19 patients. So does that mean that the private sector and the and government are working together? That's my first question to Congressman Chip Roy, his first time on the program. I'm so incredibly grateful to have him, the Republican from Texas, the 21st district in Texas. Congressman Roy, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we used to interact way back in the day uh, during your time when you were working for uh, then presidential candidate Rick Perry and then as chief of staff to uh, to uh, Senator Ted Cruz. So thank you for coming on. How, what's, what do you, what, when you heard the news from President Trump deregulating with the FDA to advance some new drugs, what were your, what was your reaction? Well, first of all, good to be on your show and uh, yeah, great interacting back in the past and I'm glad you're having me on the show anyway, but, uh, but uh, really appreciate it. You know, the, the FDA, getting the FDA out of, out of the way, frankly, is one of the things that I think the administration is doing quite well. You may remember from our interactions when I was working for Governor Perry's presidential campaign, I was fighting cancer and yep. uh, was using a trial drug at the time that was uh, uh, FDA approved for relapse patients, but was you know a new drug for new patients. And so you know I'm I'm a big believer in getting uh, you know regulations out of the way and getting drugs faster to the market. I think we ought to do that across the board. I think one of the things that hopefully will come out of this experience and this virus is how much a lot of these regulations, both of the CDC with respect to testing. The FDA, with respect to drugs, have been getting in the way of, of innovation. I think Gilead's got a drug here that's at least worth looking at, uh, Rendesivir and, and, and other things it's working on. And recall, Gilead was one of those companies that was hauled before the Oversight Committee by Democrats last year where they were being uh, you know, beat up on for profit-making. Uh, you know, they've got one of the big drugs that helps uh, AIDS patients and HIV patients. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that there's some movement out there. Obviously, there's no silver bullet right now. We need to get our economy back up and running. Uh, without waiting for a silver bullet, but, but Lord willing, all of these guys will come up with a, a drug that will uh, that will uh, uh, have a vaccine for us. Let me ask you one more follow-up on this. Congressman Roy, you having battled cancer, are you optimistic that one of the legacies of this pandemic, sir, is going to be that the government can work better through the FDA to get drugs that are that work into the market to save Americans? Yeah, look, I, I actually do. I think there's a lot of momentum building for that. I've, I've got legislation on the House side that my former boss, Senator Cruz, has on the Senate side called the Results Act, which would actually move things faster through the pipeline if they've already been approved, for example, in Europe or some of our other uh, you know, uh, partner countries out there and, and allies that are out there and have already advanced something. We can move it through quickly uh, here in the United States. I think there are other ways for us to get the FDA out of the way. We're working on some ways to kind of reverse the whole presumption of the FDA that you can kind of get to the market with your drugs and then have the, have the FDA have to come in and say why that drug shouldn't be allowed. Certainly, I support being a right, right to try and those sorts of things. 
But I do believe there's a wake-up call, and I introduced legislation today. Uh, we'll put out a statement on Monday for it, but it was late today, Friday. We got a file that, that would basically freeze in place and end all of the regulations that have been getting un, you know, undone by the Trump administration. They've undone and ended 400 regulations. They've suspended them. And I want to freeze those regulations and put them on the fast track to ending and require uh, Congress to have to come back and vote specifically if they want any of those regulations to come back in place. I think we ought to use this as an opportunity to clean, the, clean out the system. Congressman Chip Roy is on the line. He represents Texas 21st District. He's a Republican. He was. You were also, Congressman, one of, uh, I think it was like 40, Repub- 40 representatives to vote against uh, the uh, coronavirus pandemic relief bill that went through. And, and I guess it went through so fast. And now there's all of these questions, Congressman. And I don't want to relitigate why you did it or whatnot. Or, and, and, you know, I'll, listeners can decide whether or not they agree with you. But there's all of this discussion over businesses like the LA Lakers that took the money. They didn't need it. They yeah. had to give it back. And, and I guess now that that's been decided, what, how, what are you going to be doing with your colleagues for oversight and to, to make sure that the actual businesses on main street that need this money get it? Well, it's a great question. Uh, there's been, you know, uh, four bills that have moved through really, you know, three and a half, I guess we would look at it. I voted for, Two of them didn't get a chance to vote on the other one, and I voted against one. Uh, I don't need to go through and litigate it all except that, uh, you know, there, there was an important need for us to provide funding for small businesses who have had, through the force of government, their livelihoods taken away from them. I, believe, I view this more like eminent domain and the taking than I do a bailout or a stimulus bill. That being said, most of these bills were chock full of all sorts of stupid ideas that are hamstringing businesses. For example, I've got restaurants, and I've written about this in the Wall Street Journal and otherwise, Restaurants here in, in the district I represent, the heavy restaurant uh, district, they are being told they've got to go out and borrow money in order to you know, try to survive and then adhere to rules. To, they've got to go rehire people in order to you know, get the benefits of these loans and the forgiveness exactly. of the loans. But they, but they can't rehire them because we upped unemployment insurance so that people are getting paid more not to work than to work. Those are the kind of provisions which are asinine and turn the whole thing on its head that we ought to fix. And last week, we went back. We should have fixed that. We knew there were problems with it, but we didn't get a chance to amend it, didn't get a chance to do our job. And here we are, and we're going to not go back next week to do our job. Congress is supposed to meet. We're supposed to debate. We're supposed to deliberate, amend, and vote. And Nancy Pelosi is not calling the House back, and it's a travesty because we have a lot of work left to do to oversee the $2 trillion plus, almost $3 trillion, that we've been throwing out there into the economy, some of it good, some of it bad. Let's clamp down on it, make sure it's being spent appropriately, try to minimize the damage, and let's get the daggum economy back through the right policies rather than just throwing money to the, to the wind. Congressman Shiproy, I mean, when I was talking to the business community when all, about a month ago when all of this was going down, so many people in the business sector were, were, were infuriated because they had to furlough people and it, because they weren't yep. sure if they were even going to get economic relief. I mean, that when people in the business community on Main Street are frustrated with Washington, this is the perfect illustration for why. But I got to ask you one more question because we only have 90 seconds yep. left and I want to talk about the energy sector in particular. I know this is important yep. to your district. Are you disappointed with Saudi Arabia? Are you disappointed with how the Saudis have finangled in all of this and what can be done to correct course? Yeah, let's make no mistake about it. We've got the energy independence that has been building on the back of the fracking and natural gas boom in Texas, which has lowered CO2 production around the world and created uh, energy independence. It's now on the chopping block. These companies are getting absolutely destroyed, and they're the backbone of our energy independence. 
Saudi Arabia and Russia have taken advantage of it. They knew what they were doing. They were flooding the market with oil. The president is pushing back on it, but we ought to be even more aggressive. And frankly, we've got to do our part now to make sure these companies stay afloat uh, through the programs we've already you know, put out there, but importantly, get our economy started again so that oil and gas can flow. These co- companies are critical to our energy independence, which has national security implications, environmental implications, and, of course, and obviously economic implications. Congressman Chip Roy, Republican from Texas, representing Texas 21. Thank you so much. Come back on because I, I didn't have enough time to ask you about the important work you're doing for veterans, bipartisan work that you're doing for veterans. More next, Billy Martin III trying to get a loan to keep Martin's Tavern alive. He calls in next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. It's Friday, folks. We made it through another week on Friday. And what are you doing this week? Hopefully, you're ordering some takeout from all of the incredible restaurants in our area. And one of my favorites is Martin's Tavern. Billy Martin's Tavern that was established in 1933. I actually did a long walk through Georgetown the uh, the other night earlier this week because I, I, I found out that Martin's was doing curbside. And I was a little bit disappointed that I couldn't get their famous fried green tomatoes. Just going to be honest, just going to be honest about the fried green tomatoes. They are my favorite item on their menu. But I was incredibly grateful uh, for all of the hard work that the folks uh, really, the the friends in our community at Martin's Tavern have been doing. Uh, and I wanted to check in with Billy Martin III, who I've gotten to know through through frequenting uh, Martin's Taverns. But uh, Billy, thanks for calling in. How are you? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thanks for having me on today. You're welcome anytime. So what has it been like as a small business owner in terms of getting assistance and getting loans from the government? How are you making out? We're not making out very well at all. It's, oh, uh, it's been a Billy, very... that's breaking my heart on a Friday. That's not good news, Billy. I was hoping you were going to tell me what, what they were saying at Ben's Chili Bowl. What's going on, Billy? What are they doing? Well, it, it's just been a very difficult process uh, to get through to any of the loans. Uh, we've applied for, for a lot of the relief programs, uh, whether it's the PPP program, whether it's the EIDL. Uh, even the Mike, DC micro grant. Uh, so far, we haven't uh, received any responses back from any of them, other than a couple of denials. Uh, and we're trying for round two on the PPP to see what we can come up with there. Billy, has the mayor's office been helpful? Well, the mayor's office is is you know th- this whole thing is just a difficult situation all the way around and very challenging for all. The mayor's office is certainly working hard to try uh, on many levels to get this all sorted out. But, um, you know, this, it's just it's, it, there's other agencies that ha- we need help with. And I just think it's a, it is I, I don't want to say no, but I don't want to say yes. I hear you. No, I'm not trying to, you know, because I, I hear this and, and, and you're such an iconic restaurant and, and you, you make up the fiber of Washington, D.C., certainly of Georgetown. I mean, this is the place, folks, where JFK proposed to Jackie. Remember? OK, the Nixon booth. I don't have to say much more. The, the Kennedy, the proposal booth, all of it. But in terms of how what can you just put in perspective 
as you look back since on your family's history about what this particular moment in this pandemic, where will this go down in the story of Martin's Tavern? Well, this certainly is going to go down as, as the, the, the most challenging time that we've been through. As you wow. mentioned, we've been in business for 87 years. You know, we are the oldest family-owned restaurant in Washington, D.C. Um, started right after Prohibition in 1933, and of course that was during the, the Depression. So you would think that that would have been the hardest time. But looking back now, uh, over these 87 years and seeing the challenges we have faced, this is by far and above going to be the most difficult challenge to get through. Uh, it's going to change the, the, the whole makeup of the hospitality industry, how people, how, how, how we're going to conduct business going forward. And the challenge is going to be um, is, is given the, the size of a space that you have and what you have to work with and the social distancing. So this one is going to be by far the, the biggest puzzler of them all. So Billy, Mar- Billy Martin III is on. Of course, he is uh, you know, part of the legacy of, of Martin's Tavern. And when you were growing up, Billy, uh, I'm sure your family told you stories after stories that were passed down through this incredible, incredible historic restaurant. This is also the place, mind you folks, where former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright told Billy Martin uh, over dinner that she thinks Martin's as an extension of her living room. Wow, and Mickey Mantle was there, Ty Cobb, Yogi Berra. I, I can't even tell you just the, the you guys, it's just a, such a historic place. But, Billy, what what lesson are you drawing on from your family history that were that was passed down to you? Uh, you mentioned that, that you guys were founded during the height of the Depression. But tell me about, I guess, how the so, sort of your family history that, that you're drawing on inspiration from to help you as your compass through this difficult time. That's going to have to be perseverance. You know, you just have to push through. And, uh, you know, as, as, as you said, being an iconic restaurant in Washington, uh, especially in the Georgetown neighborhood here, we, we come to connect with, with the, the regular people, our, our neighbors, uh, the businesses around us. But even more than that, it's, it's the people that come in each year for conventions or whatever that, that we just get to know and we're there for. So, you know, we, we just know that if we keep the focus, stay up with, with the challenges that we're facing right now and, and work coll- collectively together with my management team and my family and look back at how did they – how did my family get through certain situations? And again, that's just it's just it's the it's keeping a focus, coming up with the right plan and, and just making it implement it and work through it. And I just see that that's exactly what we're going to do here. And we are being rallied by our our good, loyal customers uh, going, you know, with for our GoFundMe plan for our for our staff uh, to keep them all going as well. And if people want to help out, you can go to martinstavern.com for all of the information. That's martinstavern.com. I have to just say, I mean, when I went and got my, my order the other night, there was a personalized, handwritten thank you note. I mean, I thought that was only something that people back in Delco were grown up to learn about, to write a thank, a handwritten thank you note. I mean, that just goes to show you, even that, 
I was like, this is why Martin's Tavern has been around for all of those years, that they would even take the time to write a personalized thank you note. It's just so incredible. We have a minute left, but I want to ask you, I've always wanted to know this. You had a choice, Billy, when you were a kid about whether or not to go into the family business. What was the moment that you decided, you know what, I got to stick around to see this thing through? Well, interestingly enough, um, I was uh, living in Florida for a few years, um, and my, my, my younger brother said, hey, let's go see Dad in the family business. And I have to be honest, I wasn't that interested, um, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad my younger brother, my brother Michael, uh, convinced me to come here to back to D.C. from Florida. And when I got into it, it was just, I knew it was in my blood. I could feel it. In the restaurant business, there's, there's nothing better than, the hospitality industry. It's like being on on the stage and and just making people happy. I love it. Billy, this was such a privilege. You know what? And it's not just in your blood, my friend. It's in Washington, D.C.'s blood. More soon. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Folks, if you're like me, sometimes you're just having a day. You know, you're having a day. You got to go on like 20 million walks in order to pass the time while you work from home. But it's been nice out. I think it's going to be a little nice this weekend. They're calling for some showers, but hopefully it's hopefully it's a nice one. And how about this? They're going to fly the jets over Washington, D.C. I can't wait to see that, to see uh, the Blue Angels uh, fly over Washington, D.C. on the monuments. You know, just stay indoors, watch them or, or from your backyards, be socially distant and whatnot. Uh, but you can go online, I believe, actually, on on uh, on we have it. Uh, you can find out all the information if you go online. Just Google it. Uh, but DC's the Mayor Bowser also has it uh, on her site as well. So again, Washington DC, the Blue Angels Thunderbirds at about eleven forty-five a.m. Uh, and between then and like twelve, a, li- a little after twelve noon tomorrow, the twenty-minute joint flyover is a salute to the frontline COVID nineteen responders. Residents should observe the flyover. I'm reading this from the official release. Residents should observe the flyover from the safety of their home quarantine and should refrain from traveling to see the flyover. Social distancing should still be practiced at all times. I can't wait for that. You know, I saw what they did in New York a couple days ago. Amazing. I get goosebumps. So now it's D.C.'s turn. I like that. And, you know, I was on a walk today, and, 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 and truthfully, I saw the military handing out groceries uh, to to underserved uh, or to our underserved citizens in in our community, and it, you know it was just really surreal to see that, but also just filled with immense gratitude for all of the people who are on the front lines and 
and doing all of this. Brian Darling is on the line. Brian is a friend of the program. He also, of course, is uh, a Republican insider, former senior communications director to Kentucky Senator Rand Paul and founder of Liberty Government Affairs. Brian, you're going to watch the Thunderbirds tomorrow. I definitely am. I'm going to be in Bethesda. I'm going to watch them fly over here. With your daughter, right? Yeah, with the kids, and and uh, it should be fun. Uh, how you how you guys been holding up? I mean, how has it been for you? I haven't spoken to you since pre-pandemic, pre-Rona, Bri. Pre-Rona, we haven't we haven't caught up. I know. I miss uh, hanging out in the studio with you. Well, it's you don't been miss tough. me, Brian. Got... You miss the snacks in the Bloomberg pantry. Who are you kidding? I miss that too. <laughs> but uh, the um, you know, it's been tough. I mean, I've got kids uh, that are taking school at home. They're doing the homeschooling, which is a, a challenge and. Yeah, that's a challenge, and a lot of what's going on, the fact that you never know when this is all going to end. It's its a little depressing, but I think we're, you know, learning to live with this new reality, and, and hopefully slowly but surely we'll get out of this funk and actually get back to semi-normal, whatever normal will be after the after the coronavirus passes a little bit. You know, and I appreciate the honesty because even as Monday is around the corner and the Senate is set to convene, but the House is not, you know, we had Congressman Roy on earlier in the program and the frustration amongst House members on both sides of the aisle that Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and other leadership, you know, they're weighing the the safety concerns and the health concerns. But, but that aside, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't you know, they want to weigh that and they want to be careful, but it doesn't take away the frustration from being able to get back to work that everybody feels, whether you're an elected official, a staff member, a lobbyist, working in this town, working for government and whatnot. I thought this, did you see this on Politico? I thought this was, I mean, the headline says it all. Cash-starved candidates trade swanky cocktail hours for $5,000 Zoom meetings, Brian. They're charging $5,000 a pop to get on a Zoom call with a political candidate. Do you believe? I mean, what a, what a sign of the times. It is. It's unbelievable that we've, you know, I didn't know much about Zoom. I used it a little bit before. Neither but did now, I. And, and let me I, tell you something. When all this is done, I never want to go. I never want to hear from Zoom again. <laughs> go ahead. I agree with you. Zoom, it's Zoom all the time. My kids are doing Zoom. I'm doing business meetings through Zoom. But, you know, I, I agree with uh, Congressman Roy that these guys, they should be back in town. I mean, you've got people who are driving car, uh, driving trucks, driving our groceries to the grocery stores. You go to the grocery store. Those people are working. You go around and the essential people that are working here and there, I mean, they're actually going to work. When you're sitting at home, you're getting a, a package delivered. They're working. I mean, there are a lot of essential people that are working, and I consider Congress essential at this time. We need some profiles and courage to step up and say, look, you know, we're going to be in Washington. And, and I agree, it's dangerous. So don't fly them commercially. Get military aircraft. Get them here and make them stay here because we need our political leaders to show some leadership and actually be in Washington making these decisions, crafting legislation. We know that some are sitting in the Capitol crafting phase four coronavirus response. But where are the rest of the members? And, and, and that's the problem. I think it's a problem of leadership when Congress is being um, just not being in Washington, not showing leadership. So I, I hear what you're saying. I hear that argument. I can understand that entirely. And I, and I don't mean to, to, to question your argument or to question where you're coming from. But I also understand the argument of. Well, constituents need their lawmakers and their representatives in their district so that, especially from the small business community perspective, they can be right there 
answering questions, navigating folks for how to understand and navigate through the economic fallout of all of this. I think one of the frustrations that based upon my reporting that I can tell you is, okay, if they're not going to come back to Washington, then why aren't they voting virtually? Or why aren't they doing anything virtually? Uh, I mean, if they're, if they're able to have $5,000 Zoom fundraisers, why can't they, why can't they have a virtual type of a package in that way? If, if their belief is that being in their district is, is more of an advantage to help constituents, you following me? I hear you. And I do see that. I mean, it's a, it's an important argument, but these, we elect these members of Congress to be here right. crafting legislation, trying to pass something that's going to actually help us out more so than trying to help people through the morass of the federal bureaucracy. All right, coming up, we're going to check in with Max Burns, our Democratic strategist, and we're going to get all of the latest about uh, Joe Biden's day on MSNBC, where he finally addressed those allegations. But I want to stick with policy from a standpoint. When lawmakers do return, Brian Darling, as you are someone who advises businesses, you have the ear of top Republicans in the Senate and in the House. What are you going to be looking for them to do in the immediate short term as it relates to any type of package coming out of Congress? Well, you look at the phase four. I mean, the phase four is coming. It's it's going to come up, and I bet it's going to be more partisan than the last two packages. It's not going to be unanimous. There will be some pushback. So uh, what I want to see is, does Congress move forward with an infrastructure package? Does Congress move forward with other things that aren't directly related to the coronavirus crisis? Um, and, and how partisan does this fight get? Because the more that we get things thrown into this package that have nothing to do with the coronavirus, the longer it's going to take to pass the bill. So I'm wondering if phase four might might have a problem actually getting passed because there will be both parties are going to dig in and try and use it for some partisanship. Amazing. Amazing. And um, what, what I, in terms of the the fight that Congressman Roy alluded to. I mean, he was one of the Republicans who voted against uh, the the coronavirus package. Can you just give us a preview in the minute or so that we have left, Brian, about uh, the conservative fight that's coming? If it's not, if it might be post-2020, but the conservative fight that is coming as it relates uh, to uh, the national debt and, and government spending. Well, we're facing approximately 25 trillion as a nation in debt wow. this wow. year we don't even know it's going to be three three and a half four trillion in one year i mean that's a staggering amount of money that we are going to owe in one year and the fight is going to be over where do we cut and what do we spend our money on and that uh, right now everybody is ready to open up their purses and, and pocketbooks just to get some money out there to help people that are hurting but once we get a little bit past this, this crisis, it's going to be time to look to reorder uh, our priorities and to figure out where we're going to spend our money. Brian Darling, always appreciate hearing your insights and your thoughts. One of the best who knows virtually everyone in the Republican Party. Uh, Brian Darling, former senior communications director for Rand Paul and the founder of Liberty Government Affairs. Be well, my friend. Coming up next, Max Burns on Tara Reid allegations. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. It's Friday, folks. Friday, folks. And I'm excited to see the flyover tomorrow from the Thunderbirds. You know, it'll be something to look forward to. 11.45 a.m. to 12.00. 
shortly after 12, you can catch that, and uh, you can catch the flyover from the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels. It's going to be amazing. Going to be goosebumps, you know, the whole the whole whole nine yards, and it's all being done in to show support for the folks on the front lines of uh, doing all the hard work front lines for COVID nineteen. Breaking news! Breaking news out of Joe Biden world. You ready for this? Joe Biden just wrote a letter that was released today, May first, to Julie Adams, Julie E. Adams. Secretary of the Senate, I am writing to request your assistance in determining whether 27 years ago, a staff member in my United States Senate office filed a complaint alleging sexual harassment. According to public reports, the staff member, Ms. Tara Reed, has stated that in 1993, she filed such a complaint with the office responsible for enforcing Senate employees' rights in the workplace, Joe Biden goes on to write in this letter to Julie Adams, the secretary of the Senate, that he, quote, requests that you take or direct whatever steps are necessary to establish the location of the records of this office. And once they have been located to direct a search for the alleged complaints and to make public the results of this search, end quote. Wow. A three paragraph letter from from Joe Biden, former vice president, likely Democratic, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee. Max Burns is on the line. He is a Democratic strategist and a contributor at The Daily Beast and The Independent. Max, wow, I need your reaction. What do you think of that letter? I think this is the right decision for Joe Biden. This is obviously something that should be taken very seriously. I don't know uh, whether Ms. Reed's uh, allegations are true or not, but they certainly deserve a full and transparent investigation. So I think trying to source that initial, that early complaint from 93 uh, will be a huge step in, in assessing the credibility of the claims. So Joe Biden went on Morning Joe earlier this morning, uh, and he said he was asked very in, in direct Direct questioning from Mika Brzezinski. I thought Mika did a I personally. I, I I thought Mika did a great job with the interview. I mean, in terms of her question, she asked every question that I wanted that I had, and uh, I think I think she did. You know, Mika Brzezinski. I think uh, Brzezinski did a great job. She, and and she asked him directly whether or not uh, these there was any merit to these allegations. And I'm just going to read the direct quote from Biden. Quote: No, it is not true. I'm saying unequivocally. It never, never happens, and it didn't, end quote. Do you think that, Joe, that this puts the story behind Biden? I mean, for him to come out now and release this letter to the Senate, it would suggest that they still feel that they're going to have more to do about this, Max. But does it do enough to, to silence the questions from, from progressives on this issue? I think, yeah, it's taking definitely the right step forward in urging transparency not going the Donald Trump way, hiding behind NDAs, delaying, distracting. But I think Republicans will certainly try to spin this as much as they can. This is the distraction they've been hoping for from the president's mismanagement on coronavirus. And regardless of what the truth is, uh, Republicans will certainly try and convince America that this is true and that Joe Biden is unfit. I think Republicans would say that that Trump, especially candidate Trump, he took the allegations head on. I mean, I was in the room when he brought out the accusers of Clinton uh, during right before one of the 
I think it was the second to last uh, presidential debate. So, I mean, you know, it is it is interesting, though, and I think years from now they're going to break down how all of these elected officials handled these allegations and all of the different strategies that they that they that they deployed uh, and which worked and which didn't and why and why not. I mean, you got to remember, I mean, which it's, it's, it's interesting to say the least in terms of where things go, sticking with Biden world, Max Burns, democratic strategist, you know, we were joking about it earlier in the program that they're having $5,000 zoom fundraisers. How, how do you think Biden world is doing in terms of getting out ahead of the, or getting, getting the, the, the groundwork rather for the, for the next you know, for the for the sprint up to the election come come the summer, is this just a wait and see period, or are they are they able to keep moving forward, or what? What? How do you see it? We're watching Joe Biden sort of learn how to engage with voters online and on YouTube and streaming, sort of day by day. It's a challenge for the Democrats because you can't hold big rallies, you can't get Barack Obama out there packing a stadium to rile people up and get them ready to vote. Uh, right now, people are just trying to figure out what is the maximum that we can do safely. And that seems largely to be online activism, uh, digital engagement. Uh, there's no telling when that's going to end. But I know that there's a lot of pent up energy within the Democratic Party to get out and take this fight directly to Donald Trump in the summer. Well, see, that's what I just find fascinating is because I don't know if the if the, we won't know until November, but I don't know if the online activism uh, is working or not for either party, because I think Americans right now just have so many more important pressing issues on their mind, putting food on the table, making sure that they can keep their job. If they're fortunate enough to be in a situation to keep their job or to not be furloughed, providing for those in their family who aren't. In the, in the in the same situation. And to your point, Max Burns, Democratic strategist, President Trump just announced a trip to Arizona. I mean, he's going to Arizona on May 5th. Next week, the president is going to visit Arizona. And it's fascinating to see how the battle lines in this have played out. And the president was very quick to get on the side of reopening the economy as, qu- as quickly and as safely as possible, whereas Democrats have said, no, wait a minute, we got to rely on on science. We have to take uh, we have to be much more um, we have to we have to take a safer, more safe approach. You even see that playing out in the halls of Congress where the Senate's going to convene on Monday. Speaker Pelosi arrived at a different decision. But from a political standpoint, do you think that Republicans being more aggressive in reopening the president forecasting that he's feels safe enough to go out of the of the the White House. Do you think that just goes to show or does that put Democrats at a disadvantage for not being able to have in-person rallies? I think the most important thing right now is the safety and, and health of Americans. And Donald Trump is increasingly alone on this. The governor of Arizona actually just said this week that they will not be reopening. They're extending their shelter in place and their lockdown. So the president is actually going against the advice of the governor whose state he's visiting. And this is something that Donald Trump has always done. But the rest of us are bound to a bit more of a fact-based, evidence-based way of handling this crisis. Give me something. Give me some good news, Max. Give me some. What's one thing on your radar as it relates to this that you're that you want to talk about? We got a minute left. I'm keeping an eye on Stacey Abrams. She's launched an incredible sort of full blast media campaign to be Joe Biden's vice president. We haven't seen anything like it. And I actually think it's exciting. It's a great look at where politics could be heading. 
Yeah, but do you think that she has a chance? I do. I think anyone that can engage the base like she does, who can talk with her authority on voting rights and voter suppression, has more than a fighting chance of getting the Democratic nod. Did you see the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds when they flew over New York City? Max Burns. I did see the Blue Angels. It made me feel four years old again. Oh, I like that. That's a good note to end the week on. My thanks to Max Burns. My thanks to Brian Darling. My thanks to uh, Chip Roy, the congressman. And, of course, to Billy Martin the third. Love those handwritten thank you notes. And download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Make sure you get outside tomorrow safely, socially distant, and watch the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels. Thank you to our first responders, and thank you also for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.